Today's episode is sponsored by Datadog, the cloud-scale monitoring service that provides comprehensive visibility into public cloud, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud environments with over 250 integrations. Datadog unifies your metrics, logs, and distributed request traces into one platform, so you can investigate and troubleshoot issues across every layer of your stack. Use Datadog's rich, customizable dashboards and algorithmic alerts to monitor cloud migrations in real time. To start a free trial today and Datadog sending you a free t-shirt, visit datadoghq.com slash cloudcast to get started. That's datadoghq.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Aaron, we are getting very close to uh, not only the end of the year, but the holidays. How you been, man? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, you know, it is one of those, uh, you know, everyone's kind of making, you know, for us in the industry, those, those final uh, trips of the year, and then everyone's kind of shutting it down, and, and that's definitely what's going on here. It's noticeable slowdown in, in you know, travel and also a noticeable slowdown in, in the news, I think, this week as well. I mean, it's we've got a couple articles, but I, I'd say it's a little bit slower. Yeah, obviously, all the big shows are sort of done for the year. I don't think anybody's going to make any big announcements, right? We could we could always have a scandal or something, but uh, I don't think any huge announcements are coming. But there was a, a couple of things. Um, I'll throw the first two out there, and I think um, I hate to lump them together, but they they sort of fall into this same kind of trend we're seeing. So the first one is um, Salesforce is opening up their platform or sort of expanding their platform to now sort of include some serverless type capabilities uh, as well. Atlassian is also launching some new serverless uh, capabilities around their cloud platform. So this is, you know, kind of this trend that we've seen um, with a number of the, 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 the things that developers interact with that you don't necessarily think of as a cloud, right? They're not Amazon, Google, or Azure, um, but they're essentially realizing that, you know, the things that people do with functions, um, with sort of, uh, you know, small types of interactions, uh, streaming, event-based things. Um, we saw this with with GitHub um, has this as well. Um, so sort of a, a trend that we're seeing where um, the places where developers are doing work, they're now realizing like, hey, we should incorporate some of those capabilities. So I guess if nothing else, this definitely validates that uh, sort of serverless and functions as a service has become very much a mainstream thing. Yeah. And so I'm going to throw in a joke there of, can I, we've got prediction show coming up, I'm I'm assuming here before too much longer. So I'm going to say 2020 is the year of serverless, you know, but no, just uh, (laughs) uh, there's, there's that. But then I was also wondering too, to kind of flip a question back at you real quick, your, your thoughts on this, going back to your analyst days. uh, What's interesting to me is, you know, we're not calling anything PaaS anymore. Right. Um, That's definitely kind of been, it's almost PaaS is passe, if you will now, but, but, You've got a lot of serverless stuff that's coming up, and but at the same time, it's you know it's developer tools, it's you know it's at the function level. Like, what is your quick thoughts, like in a minute or two, on PaaS versus serverless these days, and, and you know for the listeners? Yeah, I I think I think in a nutshell, um, I think you're right. The idea that something is called a PaaS is sort of we've moved we've moved past to that. Um, but I think the idea, and I and I and I, and I mentioned this to, to companies I talk to all the time, like. The original goal that Paz had, which was we would like to make our developers more productive, we would like to 
make them not have to care about the underlying plumbing, um, you know, that's in essence what serverless has sort of evolved to. Um, granted, it's it's for a sort of a, a superset or a subset of of certain types of applications, but you know, I, I think the the ultimate goal is still there. Um, and then what we call it is is sort of become irrelevant, right? Like you don't really see Gartner or Forrester or even any of the analyst firms, you know, kind of putting out PaaS magic quadrants or serverless magic quadrants. It's just become, you know, hey, you know, are are you achieving the goal of making developers more productive? So that that's the yeah. way I tend to think about it. I don't worry about the the, the terminology we'll, we'll, anymore. And quick follow on: Will will PaaS go down as in, in history as just something that was just too prescriptive? Yeah, Maybe I think that's. I think that was the that was the the sort of downfall of the original sort of PaaS 1.0, if you will, was maybe a little little too opinionated. Uh, a little too maybe biased on one language or another. Um, and, you know, we're now sort of seeing the second in, in, reincarnation of it, if you will. So, um, you know, it was it was like everything else we've seen in technology. It was uh, a stepping stone to something much broader once we understood how people actually used it. Yeah. So, so there you go. Get cloud, cloud news and commentary all in one. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> the other one that was on the list, uh, and it's going to be a short list this week, um, Google... Uh, Google, Google Cloud, Google signed a, a big healthcare deal um, that has some people sort of up in arms about, um, you know, a we're seeing Google get more involved with with verticals, um, which is interesting, right? Sort of what the cloud can do. It always used to be sort of horizontal technology. We're seeing more of that, um, but the idea that healthcare providers are going to provide data to Google, um, you know, directly, I think concerns some people in terms of. You know, how do we know that this is going to happen? Everybody promises that it will remain, you know, by itself, uh, and then, you know, at some point, you know, who knows? Uh, there, there, there always tends to be a breach at some point. So this is this is very interesting, especially considering all the work that goes on around HIPAA and other things to make sure that this data doesn't get uh, in the wrong hands or leaked or whatever. Yeah, and, and it's at its most basic level. You know, when you go into the doctor's office here in the in the states, you sign a bunch of forms, and of, of those forms, it's a little bit of what they're going to do with your data and who owns your data, and you know, who do you grant access to your data? You know, I, when I filled out my forms, it you know, it had here's the people that you put down that can access your data. I don't remember putting Google down, right? Exactly. Um, you know, when I signed my paperwork, so it'll be interesting yeah. to see. You know, this has been you know kind of swirling around for a while of Google trying to do this, especially in healthcare. Um, there's been multiple stories and multiple angles, and I think this is just the the latest one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it does it does sort of bump up against the the idea that the cloud providers can help uh, some of these industries that are sort of tech deficient, if you will. Right? They've got big problems to solve. There are big data problems, uh, but they do sort of start to to cross over into some gray areas. Well, the last thing that I have on our cloud news of the week, and this is I guess news for anybody who's listened to the show for a long time. If you are a new listener to the show, this is going to sound like a really weird obscure thing. Uh, but we've reached that time of year where, uh, for anybody who knows, this is the donut run time of the year. Um, it's it's our request uh, for our community to sort of help us give back to our more local community. But Aaron, give give folks the Cliff Notes version. What is the donut run and why do we do it? Yeah. So the name of the race is the Krispy Kreme Challenge. And so what you do um, is you have, uh, you start at NC State University, you run two and a half miles to the local Krispy Kreme you eat a dozen donuts and you run two and a half miles back. And if you manage to keep the donuts down and do it in a, under an hour, you quote unquote win. That's right. 
So why would and, we do something as stupid? <laughs> why would anybody do something as stupid as that? Because we have uh, really over the years, developed, we've delved into the team and we don't necessarily ask for, for money on this show. The one thing we do ask uh, out of the listeners every year is, is help us uh, in this cause. Uh, we, we have a team and we do take donations. The, the donations go to the North Carolina Children's Hospital, which is the partner for Krispy Kreme for the run. Um, it is funded by our, excuse me, organized by NC State University students. And so really, really good cause, really crazy run, um, gets a lot of attention every year, about 8,000 students or, and, and participants here in the Raleigh area, really donating a lot of money for North Carolina Children's Hospital. And it's fantastic. We've been very privileged to be a part of it. We're, have we, was it 30,000 over the yeah, last seven think, years, I maybe? Think, yeah, between 30 and 35,000. We've been, we've been very lucky. We've been extremely fortunate. Our audience, our community has, uh, has made donations, has helped us be the largest team giver, I think, for the last five or six years in a row. So, you know, we get the chance to to go out, uh, represent the Cloudcast community. We show up with a, a gigantic check, uh, which is which is always fun. And and look, at the end of the day, um, we get a chance to help some kids and their families who are going through some some pretty rough times. Um, you know, it's it's cancers, it's really uh, difficult illnesses and things with, that you know put parents and and families in the hospital for long periods of time. So you know, if uh, if you're able to do it, uh, we always appreciate it. There will be a link at the top of the show. We'll put it in the show notes uh, at the top of. Thecloudcast.net. You can you can make a donation. Um, they all are tax deductible, at least if you're in the United States. Uh, so if you're looking for a tax deduction this calendar year, you can do it. Um, and the race is in early February, so we always extend a, a thing out to our listeners. If you want to come out and do something really dumb with us, uh, you're welcome to come run with us uh, <laughs> for the five mile run. It's it is a lot of fun. It's kind of Mardi Gras like, um, but ultimately it's for a really really good cause. So um, we will put that in the show notes. You will occasionally hear about us asking uh, for your generosity uh, for the next couple of months, and we will thank you so much in advance. Uh, our community has been amazing in the past, and uh, maybe they will will help us out again this year. So. With that, Aaron, that's going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week. It's going to wrap up this. The next couple of shows are going to sort of be wrap up not only end of the year shows, but man, end of the decade shows. So we're going to kind of do some cool oh, stuff. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. You're yeah. Right. So we're going to do Holy a couple of cool uh, end of end of year, end of decade shows uh, for the rest of the year. Give you some stuff to to listen to, and uh, especially if you're with family or want to get away from family for 30 minutes or so. So with that, we're going to wrap it up, and we will look forward to kind of a really fun interview, a, a topic that we've never touched before, but really brings together two things that we've talked about a lot. So I think you're going to enjoy it. Today's show is sponsored by MongoDB. As a programmer, you think in objects. With MongoDB, so does your database. MongoDB is the most popular document database built for modern application developers and the cloud era. Millions of developers use MongoDB today to power the world's most innovative products and services, from cryptocurrency to online gaming, IoT, and much more. Try MongoDB today with Atlas, the global cloud database service that runs on AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. Configure, deploy, and connect to your database in just a few minutes. Check it out today at mongodb.com atlas. That's mongodb.com atlas. And we're back, Aaron. Uh, you know... One of the things that we talk about a lot um, is kind of the the need to go faster, you know, the need to go faster, the need to build software faster. And and the dirty little secret, and you know this very well, sort of being in the storage world, is people don't like to talk about stateful stuff. They like to talk about fast, stateless stuff. And uh, so today we are going to sort of dive into the, the stateful side of things and how we try and kind of balance out both the uh, the, the application side of stuff and the, and the data side of stuff. So Aaron, I think this is going to be right in your wheelhouse. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's funny you mentioned that, um, you know, if this was video, everyone would see me, you know, kind of trying to suppress laughter as you kind of uh, did that introduction, because to your point, exactly, it seems like all these emerging you know, technologies and architectures, everyone starts with, oh, it's going to be awesome. You have to do this, you have to do that. And then it's like, okay, great. Where do you store everything? Right, right. And you just kind of there and everyone's eyes kind of glaze over a little bit like, oh, don't worry about that. And it's like, well, no, that that's kind of the whole point. Exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. So, so with so, yeah, that, so, well, let's yeah, introduce Robert. Yeah, absolutely. So very excited to have uh, Robert Reeves, who is co-founder and CTO of DataCal down in uh, Austin, Texas. Robert, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah. So <clears throat> before we dive into any of this uh, database and DevOps stuff, uh, give us a little bit of your background, some of the, the things that you've worked on in the past and what sort of brought you to be uh, interested in this space. Well, um, you know, before, uh, you know, uh, the, the co-founders and I started Datical, uh, I had been um, a release manager. Um we used to call it software configuration management. And then we, you know, we had terms like release manager, build master, had that title for a little while. But it was the idea of like, okay, how do we take code from development, move it to test, and then out to production? And um, I am uh, a very lazy person, um, also impatient. Um, a lot of hubris, which is uh, Larry Wall's three <laughs> virtues of a good software engineer. Uh, and I always wanted to, you know, every day when I came into the office, uh, my focus was to automate myself out of a job. Um, now, I never did. There was always something else. But um, I always really wanted to focus on, you know, the fun stuff. And not the 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 toil, the drudgery. Uh, I wanted to, like like uh, Larry Ellison calls it, human mischief. Uh, wanted to get away from that. And so, um, you know, we we started previously. We started a company called Furnace, uh, and that was a installer for Java application servers. And we we had sold it to BMC. And um, but while I was, you know, at Furnace. Um, the uh, customers were saying, hey, man, this is great. What do you do about the database? And, and of course, you know, CTO and co-founder of a startup, my answer was, well, it's on the roadmap. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing it next, next quarter. Uh, but uh, what would you like it to do? And it, it got us thinking that, hey, wait a minute, there's all this new technology out there that is allowing us to develop and deploy applications faster, what are we doing about the database? What are we doing about those folks? Because our belief is that a herd is only as fast as its slowest member. And even if dev, test, uh, whoever is going faster, if you still have to wait on manual database schema change, yo, you're, you're not that fast. <laughs> you're just, some people are fast. But not everybody. And, and that's what we have to do with DevOps. We have to improve every part of the SLDC or else we're just not going to get the outcomes we want. So this is fascinating to me because you, you bring up a lot of points we've talked about many times on this show. Um, but it's usually to it's like one or the other. It's either we talk about DevOps 
we talk about databases. And so I think this is probably the first show we've ever done, uh, which is kind of surprising, you know, for us, Brian, that we're combining these together in this way. And so we talk a lot about DevOps, we talk a lot about databases, but why do most folks not necessarily until now have thought of them together? Um, you know, it's not as if these cloud native applications are stateless, as we kind of mentioned in, in the mm -hmm. intro. Well, um, you know, for a long time, um, we wanted the world's fastest computer, the human brain, to be in charge of updating that database schema. Because if something went wrong, oh, oh, it really went wrong. <laughs> There's bad things happen. You know, and, uh, you know, my friends over at GitLab, they, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, what was that, last year? There's a production database issue that took three days to um, uh, uh, be corrected. Uh, it was because of manual change. Um, and uh, But in the past, we've always wanted a human to review all those schema changes. And that was a good thing uh, because, well, we were only releasing once a quarter and we could do that. Well, now we're using microservices. We are using the cloud. It's a lot easier that... The, the restrictor plate uh, for, for those NASCAR fans out there is, is no longer there. <laughs> and um, dev is moving really fast. And what that's doing is it's killing the DBAs. For so long, we had this wall for, okay, you could argue for the right reasons. Um, but it's, it's a moot point now. Um, now we are crushing our DBAs. And we have to figure out a way to align those the, the, that database schema change with the application code changes. Uh, if we don't do that, then what's the point in those new cloud-native architectures uh, of, of adopting DevOps? What, what's the point of making just one side of the house fast if it doesn't result in uh, faster delivery to production? Yeah, no, it, it makes it makes sense. I feel like we're having a little bit of a of an episode of uh, like you know DevOps Database Anonymous or something, right? We're we're kind of yes. getting all the demons <laughs> out up front. And, uh, so so you know, for people that that maybe don't uh, aren't familiar with kind of why these are problems, right? Because sometimes you might just go, well, it's you know, it's all software. Why why can't it sort of all go fast? What are what are some of the big challenges that the DBAs have? Um, you know, partially, you know, on the technical side, but also just on the, you know, hey, a, a bad day for a DBA is a is a really bad day, uh, more so than maybe other groups. Well, you, you, you know, look, these are different techs. I mean, I can deploy an application and I can blow away the old version uh, and just delete it. Uh, stateless, um, even when going back to, you know, J2EE app, an ear file. Um, you know, no problem. Um, and if there's a problem with that, with that deployment, I can always roll back. We can't do that with databases. Uh, so the first thing is, is that database, you know, a schema to get from uh, yesterday's release to today's release, it must evolve. We must, um, you know, we can't just copy over the dev or test version of the database because we're going to lose the data. There is structure and data in one place. So we have to evolve that structure to maintain the data. 
So it's not an issue of just zapping it and putting the new version on it. So that's one issue. Um, the other is that for too long, we have had two different paths to production with application change and database change. So application, that, that's automated now, or we're moving toward that. Um, and those technologies are being adopted faster and faster. Um, over on the database side, it's been, boy, it's been a while since we've had real innovation, uh, especially in relational database land. I mean, you know, Oracle's release of autonomous database, that's kind of cool. No indexes. Yay. Uh, we'll use machine learning there. That's pretty neat. Um, but we are still updating structure, that schema and that stored logic the same way we did in 1979 when first release of Oracle came out running on VAX, um, you know, ran .sql files. Um, we, uh, we have syntax highlighting now. That's cool. But you know, it's still <laughs> the same. And so it, it is, um, uh, you know, but we've had this wall between dev and data for so long. It, it, it was the, the sentinels of data, our DBAs, arms crossed, stay away. I've got this. And that was for the right reason. But now that we've changed how we develop and deliver our software, there isn't a really good reason why we shouldn't uh, take those learnings of, um, you know, of DevOps and apply them to the database. It's just like us applying Agile and DevOps to the mainframe. There's no real structural reason. I mean, there is some differences, but the same uh, algorithm that we use for DevOps, we can also apply that to the database. Uh, why we haven't done it, it's just because we have just this, um, um, you know, humans, you know, we don't like to change. And I think uh, Conway's law is really the reason why we haven't done it. Uh, there's just, that's how we've always done it. We'll keep doing it, but we have to make a change today. We can't sustain this. Robert, quick quick side question around those topics. When you're talking about, you know, test dev and, and some of these things, how does anonymization of production data, you know, for privacy issues factor mm -hmm. in, into some of this today? Well, you know, we we partnered with, uh, a, you know, a, a company that uh, helps solve that problem. All right. And, and I, I do think that, you know, the ability to provide production like data to our dev and test teams is really important, because if we are moving to a world where you build it, you run it, we need to give those developers um those product owners, the ability to uh, develop against production like data. But at the same time, we can't be just letting PII just litter about in, on unsecure cloud databases. You know, it, it's, it's not a good thing. We've seen way too many uh, uh, data leaks that have, uh, you know, uh, unsecured, you know, Elasticsearch or Mongo, um, uh, uh, databases on the internet with patient data. Um, you know, we, we have to, if we're going to provide our dev and test team production like data, it does have to be mass. It does have to be anonymized so that, um, you know, as my friends at Delphix say that when you, uh, you do 
break in and get that data, all you're stealing is an empty purse. There's nothing of value there. So I do think that we need to solve two problems here for our developer and test teams. One is we do need to provide production-like data that has PII either masked or anonymized or however you want to phrase it. Uh, But we also need to give them the ability to update that structure in dev, test, and production the same way they're deploying the app. That same automation tool that they're using uh, to deploy, um, they need to also update the schema. So I think when when I look at anonymizing data, masking it, I think of that as a right to left problem. Instead of refreshing dev environments with production data, how about we refresh it with uh, mass data? And then the problem that we solve at Datacool is the left to right problem. Okay, now that I've developed the application and I understand how it's going to affect the data, I need to take that structure change and move it from dev to test to production. So it's both things. You got to solve both. <clears throat> Interesting. So one of the things, um, you know, as CTO, you're always going to have a sort of a, a technology that you're you're heavily involved with or uh, heavily interested. You are uh, you work around uh, a project, uh, open source project called LiquidBase, um, kind of mm-hmm. tool for database uh, schema change management. Tell us about LiquidBase. Kind of give us its its founding. You know, kind of where it got started and then kind of how it's evolved. Well. Um, when we started Datacle, um, my co-founders and I, we, we looked at uh, what was out there that solved the d- database schema change problem. And we found Liquibase. And um, it was really good. Uh, so that had started in 2006 uh, by Nathan Voxland. And um, Nathan was a Java developer. Uh, he still is. And uh, but he was at the time too. <laughs> and uh, to, to paraphrase a Mitch Hedberg line, um, but uh, you know he uh, he had Ruby on Rails envy. Uh, so Ruby on Rails, you could uh, change an object, add an attribute to an object, and it would automatically add a column to a table. And he was like, "Ooh, I like that." but I don't want to write in Ruby. I need to write in Java. So he built Liquibase to solve that problem. Um, And and when we looked at the project, we said, man, this is great, but there are other things that we should probably add to this for larger customers. Uh, And that's what we did with Datical. We we added the ability to, um, we have a rules engine to be able to enforce standards and, and kind of make sure you don't do chuckle-headed stuff like, add a foreign key without having uh, indexes on those columns in the foreign key, or, you know, you can enforce naming conventions, you know, all tables start with T underscore. So we reached out to Nathan and we're like, Nathan, how'd you like to work on your baby full time? Um, And, and Nathan's response was, (laughs) yeah, I like the idea, but I'm not leaving Fargo. And so (laughs) Tackle's based in Austin. And we were like, man, you just stay there. It's cool. It's cool. Uh, So he he works from home. uh, And uh, we provide about, what, 90, 95% of the commits to Liquibase. Um, It's open source and will always remain open source, BSD-style Apache 2.0 license. Um, But we are the Liquibase company. That's us. And so we have added uh, a lot of features and functionality, like being able to track 
uh, status across the enterprise, those sorts of things. And so for some customers, Liquibase is just good enough, and that's great. Use it. Um, but for large enterprises, um, they uh, need a little bit more, and that's what Datacle does. But we could not be where we are today without open source. Uh, and I, I, there's a large amount of people that, that, <laughs> that could say that, and we, we like to be included in that group. Now, follow-on question to that, is, is Liquibase mostly relational databases, or can it be used for other types as well? Well, it is today. It is relational, um, but uh, we are working. Uh, the The Liquibase community has provided uh, the initial pull request for Mongo support. So that's the first NoSQL database uh, that we're going to be supporting, um, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, the problem between you know you you think of NoSQL, well, that doesn't have structure. Uh, why, why do I need to worry about schema? But, but it does have structure. Um, each document has its own structure, you know? And so if you're looking at all these NoSQL databases, it's JSON document stores. Um, let's say the first release of the application, um, you thought that every user was going to have one address, one one physical mailing address. And then you put out the software and you're like, yeah, that's not the case. Um, so uh, you might have uh, at least a second address, maybe for billing address and shipping address. But what happens if somebody wants to ship to another address? Um, and so instead of having a one-to-one relationship between street address and a user, you need to have a one-to-many. Um, so there's two ways to approach that. One, you can make sure your software is backwards compatible, that if it sees an older JSON doc, it is on the fly going to update it. Another approach, which we think is superior, is before we release that new version of the software, let's go through all those old JSON docs and update them and maybe alert on things that might not be updatable. Um, and so that's the approach we're taking with NoSQL. We're looking at this and saying, okay, there isn't structure. You know, the concept of adding a column <clears throat> is no longer there. But still, we need to change, um, you know, that, that structure in each individual document. So that's the approach we're taking. Um, we're pretty excited about it because this is our first example of somebody providing a uh, net new platform that is very different from relational. And we're setting up this concept of a lab. We're going to incubate uh, this extension to Liquibase, get it fully baked, and then bring that into uh, the project, into core, and then uh, see about applying those same learnings to other NoSQL platforms like Dynamo or Couchbase or you know uh, uh, other things. Very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, <clears throat> it is good to see uh, that happening, it's kind of, it's always good to see, you know, community being interested in it. Um, so, you know, as I'm, as I'm sort of learning about this, as we're, as we're talking about it, it, it kind of dawns on me and I'm, and I'm curious, um, sort of what your, what your take is. So, you know, we, we have this lack of ability to kind of automate databases, uh, or at least kind of keep up with that. Do you find that that impacts kind of the application side of things, the continuous integration side of things or continuous deployment side of things, or does it impact sort of just security in general, because you can't 
you can't patch at the same velocity, or is it sort of impactful to, to both of those things, right? Sort of security and app deployments. So are you when you say patching, are we talking about patching the database or are we talking about patching our application? Well, I, I think it's I think it's probably a little bit of both, right? Because sometimes you sometimes you've got to, you know, patch something for the database, but also sometimes you just you have to make a patch to get to some level of compatibility or a version compatibility. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, I really break down um, DBAs into two buckets. Um, so right now we have application DBAs, and they really focus on the structure, the schema, the stored logic, stored procedures, triggers, views, that kind of stuff um, that is necessary for the application to run. And then we have system DBAs, and they focus on maybe tuning, provisioning, um, patching the database runtime. And so I don't think that our system DBAs need to be involved in the application side of the house. Um, I think that they are gifted um, uh, uh, specialists that, that really are focused on, you know, making sure that Oracle or MySQL, Postgres, whatever, uh, is going to run um, in, in its platonic form, its idealized form. Um, and they're really focused on, okay, how do I get more IOPS here? Okay, that's cool. Now, there's certainly implications for the application. If you over on the developer side of the house, um, you know, did this query this way, things would be better. Uh, and I think they definitely should weigh in on that. But I really want the concept of application DBA to go away. I really want developers to step up to the plate and to own the schema change. Um, I think that they need to. Uh, for too long, management uh, development leadership has allowed them to just say, oh, that's the database. That's somebody else's problem. And um, boy, I just think that's lazy, bad lazy, not good lazy like I am. But it's the the bad kind of lazy, <laughs> uh, and and I think they need to own the entire uh, application uppercase A. So I do think there's implications for uh, you know performance for I, I think there's the place for those system DBAs to weigh in and to help them. But I want to see those application DBAs learn Python and become SREs. That's what I want to see happen. And, and we've certainly seen that at our customers. Um, when DBAs are no longer worried about schema change, they start moving over into SRE land, site reliability engineer, and they start, well, one, they get a raise, <laughs> which is really nice. <laughs> but two, um, they take all that DBA uh, 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 knowledge that they've got trapped between their ears and they start uh, uh, being little Johnny Appleseeds of good database uh, uh, procedures and policies and start, you know, kind of sprinkling that around into application land. And that's a very good thing. Um, we just have this wall and it just doesn't make sense anymore. Um does, it, does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Yeah. It does. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and kind of, I'll ask this, and maybe it's just a reframing of 
and your answer is exactly the answer you just gave, but just to kind of the concept that in my head where I'm going with this is, you know, in, in enterprise tech in particular, you always had this idea of, you know, pre DevOps, the department of no, right. No one wanted to make any changes because changes were risk, right. Mm -hmm. Risk to the network going down, risk to the storage going down, risk to the database going down. And, and, there's always this hesitancy and this almost this go slow mentality because you know what happens if if it fails right and so how do you suggest companies in general getting more comfortable in making frequent changes to databases is it as simple as adopting the SRE and DevOps mentality what's your thoughts on that well I think um the first thing that needs to happen for those enterprises that say we must go slow to go fast uh, is that they need to read Dr. Nicole Forsgren's latest State of DevOps report. And she has done a huge amount of research. And, and most the most recent one, the one from this year, 2019, um, uh, talks about that heavyweight change approval process. This idea that, no, we need a lot of people to, to look at this to make sure that we're not going to break anything. That, in fact, it leads to more things breaking. <laughs> it's and, and it's slower to fix them. Um, she has research, you know, tens of thousands of survey respondents, and she has looked at the data. She her her PhD is in computer science, so she knows about this far more than I do or any of us do. Um, and she has proven that this idea that we must go slow to go fast is just wrong. Um, that by eliminating a heavyweight change approval process actually makes us more safe. And, and I go back to um, that, that line about, you know, yes, ships are safer at port, but that's not what ships are made for. And if you look at what the Navy does, the U.S. Navy, they're always running drills, they always run drills over and over and over again. So when they have to really do that thing, they're prepared for it. Uh, they have built up muscle memory. And when you're releasing once a month and you have to go back to a run book or these sorts of things, that's just that's the wrong way. Uh, when you have to rely on humans to follow a process, I think we need to automate this and move faster and use DevOps to identify areas where we are going slow or we have gone wrong and take that as an opportunity to improve, uh, um, you know, the, the Samuel Beckett line, right? You know, ever fail, you know, fail again, fail better, uh, uh, learn from it and just don't do it again the same way. Go find another way to screw up. <laughs> yeah. No, that's 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 excellent stuff. I know uh, uh, you know Dr. Forsgren has been uh, has been on a couple of other podcasts here recently, folks. I know she did a really good uh, two part series over on Corey Quinn screaming the cloud. Uh, go take a look at that. Obviously, um, she writes a number of excellent books, and she's been doing some stuff with with Jazz and Gene Kim and, and all those folks. So yeah, definitely. Excellent, excellent uh, resources to go dig into if you haven't already. Uh, Robert, I feel like we have uh, we have exerted you for for quite a bit now. We want to let you get back to sort of laziness, and uh, especially on a Friday. Thank you so much for <laughs> thank, thank you so much for being on. Um, if anybody wants to sort of follow up with you, you know, hit, pick your brain on some of these things. What are what are good ways to maybe get in touch or uh, you know some stuff you're doing at uh, at, at Data Call they could they could dig into. 
Well, just check out, you know, datical.com. Uh, certainly go check out Liquibase, liquibase.org. You can just put it in Google and misspell it and it'll correct it for you. Um, or you can, uh, you know, go ahead and hit us up uh, on Twitter at Datical, at Liquibase, uh, at Robert Reeves, uh, especially if you need comic book recommendations or the perfect Christmas cocktail, I'm your guy. There you go. There you go. Fantastic stuff. Robert, thank you so much for uh, for spending some time with us. Uh, folks, like we mentioned, this is a topic we haven't really dug into, but we, we sort of uh, have dug into it from different times. So it was good to, to connect the dots between you know moving applications faster, uh, the databases underneath them, and then how to ultimately make them go faster. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you to everybody for listening, for telling a friend, for helping us grow the show. And with that, we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 